So Dr. Satley spoke on Wednesday, and I thought he was hilarious. That thing he did with the swab and the Petri dish and stuff like that, I'm going, is he seriously going to eat that? And, And then I thought, does he have an antidote for E. coli? And then I thought, maybe that is orange jello, and it turns out that it was. But uh, I don't have a Petri dish. But what I do have is I do have a blow dryer and a ladder. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, And I have a story. But to understand the story, you need to have a little background to the story. And that is I love to make my wife laugh. That's been part of, our, part of our relationship since the very beginning. I remember being in the library and uh, we were studying and I have no idea what, what caused me to do it, but I jumped up on the desk and then on top of the desk there was a, a shelf in the study corral and I jumped up on top of that shelf and I was acting like a monkey. Yeah, she, she liked it. And, and we had this simple agreement. She said, just always try to keep me laughing. And so I've done stuff like that throughout my life. I'm a little less agile than I used to be. Uh, And so I I tend to be a little less physical than I used to be in that kind of thing. But I go out of my way to cause her to laugh. And and part of the problem with trying to be funny is sometimes you're just trying and you don't quite get there. You know? (laughs) And so, so at those moments, have, as, as I've gone out of my way to do something funny, and it's, and it's not, she asks, was it worth it? And I say, what you got to understand, Patty, is every comedian has jokes that don't work. And you got to try those jokes to find out if they do work. And the only way you know if they do work is if you try them, and if they don't work, they don't work, so you don't do them again. And otherwise, you find stuff that does work. And so my lifetime has been spent trying to make her laugh. So now here's the story. It was about 25 years ago. I was probably 41, 42 years old, something like that. We lived in a house that uh, was a split foyer, so the basement was a little bit out of the ground. The first level was up a small set of stairs. And uh, one supper, one evening, Patty comes to the supper table with a story. We have a junior high and a high school age daughter, and I'm there and Patty's there. And she tells about an experience that she had that morning having gotten out of the shower. She says she was blow drying her hair. In fact, if we're going to make this story real. Now, I don't have much hair to blow dry anymore. Pretty much a washcloth and a towel is all I need for hair care. But she's blow drying her hair and she says she notices there's a squirrel on the telephone line right outside the, the window. And every time she turns the blow dryer on, the squirrel starts chattering at her. And so she turns it off and the squirrel stops and she turns it on and the squirrel starts chattering. She turns it off and the squirrel stops and she turns it on and the, the squirrel starts chattering. And she's telling us this is at supper and she's just cracking up over it. And her husband and her two teenage daughters are looking at her like she's just a little bit out of her mind. That she would consider this funny and that her blow dryer is having a conversation with a squirrel. I think it must have been a Friday because I was home the next morning when she was getting ready. And uh, she took a shower and was standing by the sink with the blow dryer. And the blow dryer was on. And all of a sudden, an idea hit me. And so I ran out to the garage. Our garage was an attached garage. And I just have gym shorts and a T-shirt on. And it's a day like today. 
So it's cold. And I grab a ladder and I race outside and I put it up next to the bedroom, next to the bathroom window. And it's real unstable because the ground slopes. So I've stuck a couple rocks under it to try to stabilize it. This is, see, this is not looking too good right now. And, and um, I start climbing the ladder and I get up a couple steps and I, I'm not high enough. There's a sign on here that says, do not stand at or above this level. You can lose your balance. Well, I got up this far and 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 I couldn't, I still couldn't see. And so I took another step and I still couldn't see. So I stood at or above that level you're not supposed to stand on and risk management was just as soon I not do that today because I'm more fragile than I used to be. <laughs> so I'm standing at the very top level of the stairs and she's blow drying her hair and I wait for it to shut off and then I start making noises like this. <laughs> like squirrel noises. And she, she turns it on again and turns it off and I make more squirrel noises. And I think she wants to come get me to show that she's having a conversation with a squirrel. And then she tends and turns to look at me and there I am staring in the, in the window and she falls on the floor, just laughing. And I come into, <laughs> and you say, <laughs> and you, she said, it was worth it. Now, now, I want you to know that anything you do costs you something. It, it, it was, it was uh, I mean, I put my life at risk, quite honestly, because I was on a rickety ladder, and if I had fallen off, our house was uh, on a drop-off compared to the next-door neighbor. So not only do I fall six feet to the ground, I fall about 10 feet to the ground. And so, so I risk that. Uh, I risk... I don't know what, I don't think you get frostbite in three minutes, uh, at least when it's 30 degrees out. But, but I'm out there in shorts. I, I risk looking stupid. I risk a neighbor driving by trying to decide is he an idiot or is he a peeping Tom. Um, you know, there's some level of risk. But for me, I could ask the, answer the question, it was worth it. Because that's a question we ask all the time. In fact, that is a question we ask, ask all the time because every choice... I'm going to unplug this before I trip over it. Every choice costs you something. Every single choice. Levi talked about our veterans. Um, they made a choice to risk life and limb, to give two, four, six years or longer of their, of their lifetime in defense of our country and in the, in the fight for freedom and peace. And in veteran after veteran that I have talked to, what they, they look back at their time in service and they say it was valuable to me, it was worth it. Not everyone does, but most do. It was worth it and they'd pay the price again. I, sometimes I come to the office pretty early. I might drive into my parking place at about six in the morning and I see the lights on over the athletic field or, or they're on in the gym and we have athletes working out and they're, they're on the field or they're in the weight room or they're someplace and they're, they're spending time while you're still sleeping in. They're paying the price physically so they can compete on, the, on a court or on a field. And um, for them, for most of them, it's worth it. For some of them, they decide it's not worth it and they drop off the team and become a regular student. But these guys are paying the price because of something of value. By the way, our teams are pretty good. 
And uh, I just found out about something that I thought I'd tell you about. Um, our women play their fir- women's basketball team plays their first home game today and then again tomorrow. So let's hear it for the women's basketball team. Our women's volleyball team has had a great season. In fact, tomorrow at 7, they're in the conference tournament championship over in the gym. And this is what I find out about for the first 250 IWU students to the, to the volleyball game. Free admission, free pizza, and free popcorn. And so some of you are going to go to that and go, it was worth it. I don't even like volleyball, but I got pizza and popcorn. But athletes pay, the, pay a price again and again and again and again. Think about relationship. It, it costs you something. It costs you time. It costs you a, a decision to be exclusive. It costs you unselfishness. You, I mean, you, you got to choose uns, unselfishness. You have to give up selfishness. If it progresses like you hope it progresses, uh, eventually it costs you a ring and a wedding expense, or maybe you can talk your parents into paying for that. I don't know. There's some parents here with students, so be ready. (laughs) If it doesn't work, you say it doesn't work, and you quit paying the price. Academically, it costs you something to get A's. You got to study. You got to write papers. When tests come, you got to say there's a test today, but there's a new Netflix Thing premiering and, and I have a choice to binge watch Netflix or to study. You get to make that choice. Either one of the choices there costs you something. One it might cost you hard work and then you get an A and go on to academic fame and fortune and success or, or you say, I'm going to give Netflix the uh, focus and you don't get an A. Maybe you get a bad grade that affects your final grade, that affects your major, that affects your career and The choice is yours. Every choice costs you something. And the question that we have to ask throughout our lifetime is simply this. Is it worth it? As I look at the choices I make, can I say it's worth it? And to help you figure that out a little bit in a broader perspective, I want to take us to Scripture. And it's a Scripture that has been read probably a hundred times in chapels at Iowa over the years, maybe more than that. It's a very common Scripture, so it won't be new to you. But I want us to look at it and take a peek at how we might unpack it in this whole area of making decisions. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Well, Dr. Satley on Wednesday said, don't just think your way to decisions. Sometimes you can trust God to nudge your heart and you can listen your way to his decisions. But he wasn't just talking about feelings. Feelings can lead you astray. If you're in the back seat of a car with a girl on a lonely road at night in the dark, don't listen to those feelings, you know? They'll lead you astray. So it's not just feelings, it's a question. 
what matters, but not just what matters, what ultimately matters to me. What ultimately matters. See, lots of things matter. It matters what Baldwin's serving for lunch today. That will help some of you decide whether you're going to eat in Baldwin or whether you're going to eat in Wildcat. So it matters, but it doesn't ultimately matter because you can eat someplace today. It matters whether you had clean underwear to put on today. I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> I did today, by the way, which is you're very grateful. It doesn't ultimately matter, though. You know, you can turn those things inside out and, you know. Trust me, there's a guy here today who's done that. It doesn't, it matters what the price of gas is. If you're driving home to family tonight, it matters what the price of gas is. But it doesn't ultimately matter because if you have enough gas to get home, mom and dad will fill the tank up for you to come back. You're hoping, huh? Yeah, let's hear from mom and dad there. The question is what ultimately matters? For Jesus, in the scripture we read, it's us. He said, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Now the joy wasn't just getting back to heaven. He could have gone back to heaven anytime, but, but he stayed here to pay the price for our sin. His blood was shed for our atonement so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have new life in Christ. And looking at the cross, he looked through the lens of the cross to see us and to see that day when around the throne there will be people from every tribe and every language, every people group, every color, every ethnicity, every background, rich, poor, every, ba everything, every background that you can imagine around the throne shouting out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And because of that, he had the long-term look. He says that ultimately matters. So, so this cross, will it be painful? Yes. Taking the weight of the world's sin on my shoulders, will that be challenging? Yes. I've never known what separation from the Father because of sin is like. All those things would be challenging. But it ultimately is worth it to me because of them, because of you, because of me. So how does that relate to us? Well, what ultimately matters to you? I mean, what's really important? I'm not asking what matters today. What matters ultimately? Think ahead 10 years or 20 years. I'd ask you to think ahead 50 years, except I don't think that's possible. I was sitting in a spot like you uh, 50 years ago, and if you'd ever asked me whether I would be this old and have this hairline, I'd probably tell you I didn't believe it. But what, Matt, what, what do you want life to be? What difference do you want to have made? What impact do you want to have had? What legacy do you want to be leaving? What ultimately matters? And make your today decisions based on those decisions because the sum of our character is made up of the little decisions made one after another, after another, after another that develops who we are. What ultimately matters? The key in answering that is that with any decision that you're facing is to simply say, is this decision worth it? Will it help me get to that place that ultimately matters? Can I, can I look through this immediate circumstance and see where I ultimately want to be? And will I give myself to that? Now, how do you get there? I think one of the 
clues that scripture gives us is to help us ask a couple of questions to say, how do I get to what matters? Ask, first of all, what's in my way? What's keeping me from getting where I should be? And um, Hebrews tells us there are two things at least in our way. One is sin. It talks about the sin that easily entangles us. Original language talks about a, a sin that besets us, that just captures us again and again and again. Not sin in some theoretical way, but the sin, it says, that catches you. There are some like that in our lives, some things that we do again and again and again. They've become habits to us. We started out doing them because they seemed attractive. One author said, sin is what you do when your heart is not in love with God. Sin is what you do when your heart is not in love with God. And then he went on to say, no one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. Looks good. Looks like it will feel good. Looks like it'll taste good. Looks like it'll do something for us. It's attractive. But when we lose sight of God, and when we lose sight of our values, and when we lose sight of where we ultimately want to be, it's easy to give into it, and we get caught by it. And then we begin to experience the consequences of it. Because every decision costs you something. Every sin costs you something. Patty and I, with some frequency, have conversations with students, and it's a common story that they talked about growing up in a Christian home and growing up in a Christian church, and somewhere along the line, in their sophomore, junior year in high school, something bad went, went, ha happened to them, and they began to make a series of bad decisions. They got caught up in activities that seemed attractive at the time, but looking back at it now, as they're trying to live for Christ, they, they, they just carry all kinds of guilt from that, all kinds of pain from that, and just think their life is forever marked by that because they didn't look far enough ahead as they made their decisions. Some of them are still caught in that sin. And Hebrews says, if you want to get to where you need to be, you need to take that off and you need to put it down. I mean, that's the language he uses. We ask the question, what will matter in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? In the face of temptation, the next temptation you face. You ask the question, does this ultimately get me where I want to be ultimately? Or is this a diversion that will destroy me? You say, it's just one thing. Yeah, but one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing adds up. And the sin easily entangles us and trips us up. So the first question in that, that we ask in this what's in my way thing is what sin do I need to do, deal with? What sin do I need to confess? What sin do I need to stop? Because you stop it the same way you started it. One decision at a time. Just one decision at a time. It's a decision to repent and then the temptation comes in. You just say no to it. And the Bible says we have enough strength. We can say no to it. But there's another question. There's another thing that the writer of Hebrews bring up, brings up. It's not just sin. Because sin is right or wrong. And it's not too hard to figure out is this sinful or is this not sinful. But the writer of Hebrews talks about everything that hinders us. It's not sinful. It just gets in the way. That's sometimes a little harder to figure out, but there are some things like that. Uh, I have Netflix at home. 
Some of you have Netflix on your computers, whatever device you watch. And there are times, there are times when I've heard you talking about binge watching Netflix for three or four or six or eight hours the day before. That's not necessarily sinful, although, I mean, there are some things you can watch that probably don't contribute to you spiritually, but it gets in the way of you becoming what you want to be, your college students, quotation marks, around students, after all. Now, I don't just want to pick on Netflix. There's all kinds of things that we do that get in the way, that don't get us to where we want to do, that aren't helpful for us spiritually. They're not wrong. You just have to ask yourself, how do I manage this in a way that's helpful to me, that gets me where I want to go? How do I watch less of it? Maybe how do I put it away for a season to, to spend some time praying, fasting, studying, focusing on an academic thing? What is it that gets in, this, in my way that's not wrong, but just is problematic to me? For some of us, that thing that we have to put away, uh, that we have to deliberately choose to put down, is our self-talk that beats us up. So one of the things I've discovered is that as we sin, we start loading a backpack with junk and we carry it around. And when we come to Christ and when we ask forgiveness, the Bible says he makes us new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. That when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's like he takes the backpack away from us and gives us a fresh start. But the evil one, the enemy, knows where that backpack is. And it's not unusual for him to say, hey, wait a second, you forgot something. Don't you remember what you did? And he tempts us to put the guilt back on and to wallow in this thing of saying, this is what I did, so this is who I am, and I'll never be anything different than that. And Hebrews says, take this off and throw it away and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. Now, I don't know if you paid attention to, that, to the last verse. He said, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One step at a time. One step at a time. One right decision after another right decision. It will cost you something. You have to say, to say yes to this. You have to say no to that but it will get you where you want to go. You're at ground level or a step up. What does it take to get you to the top of the ladder to get you where God wants you to be? One right decision after another that by his strength you can make. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, all of us here face decisions every single day. We face hundreds and thousands of decisions, some conscious, some almost subconscious. Some are little things and don't matter all that much, but some of them ultimately matter. What I would pray is that in those little decisions, we would make them as smartly as we can, but in the big decisions, we'll make them as spiritually as we can. Help us to look through the temptation to the cross, to eternity, to the ultimate plan you have for us and say it's worth the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just send out. 